who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Slay Q&A Part 2. With me is my business partner and a very sexy number. Also my wife, <laughs> Good A. Sigler. <laughs> a, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. I understand we have a shit ton of questions, so we're going to get to them really quick right now. Yep, jump there right will in. be some Slay questions, but also a bunch of Sigler-verse questions. So, spoiler alert, if you are listening to this in the podcast... If we are not going to hold back on anything, some things I won't answer if I haven't written the book yet, but if you have not caught up on the Sigliverse, especially if you're not caught up on Slay, you might want to go catch up on that, then come back and listen to this. And I'll try and drop in a spoiler alert so you can pause it and go on to the next question. Here we go. Let's get it on. Okay. So uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of a story, uh, an email and a question from Ian Seekel. He says, okay. I, Ian, I'm sorry, Ian Seekel. Um I just re-listened to the Infected Trilogy on Realm. I hope this partnership is as good for you as it is for us. I loved books two and three and one as much as I did. Oh, sorry. Um, one and two, every bit as much as I did when they were originally podcast. Great. But, That's wonderful to hear. But Pandemic was just wow. I'm sure it had all the classic unexpected and lots and lots of violence, but I'm in the final stages of my own divorce. And when Margot and Clarence's Oof. marriage falling apart was handled with gentle, brutal, and gut-wrenching, um, I knew from listening to various podcasts that when Scott was writing, he was also in the midst of his own divorce and yep. I can feel the struggle. Thank you for writing from the heart. So that was more a comment, but I thought it was worthwhile because we are really excited about our relationship with Realm because it brings back every story for free for you um, with uh, some inserted ads. So hopefully you guys will check that out. Uh, now moving on to an actual question. Uh, Robert, Real quick, I'll interrupt. Uh, those of you listening at home, I have Realm up on the screen. It's realm.fm. If you go to realm.fm and search for Scott Sigler, you can see I have Nocturnal, The Infected Trilogy, all three books, Ancestor, Scott Sigler Slices, Slay. So the first season of Slay. And we just started last week to kick off the NFL season. We are going to launch the entire, the entire GFL series, dropping three episodes a week during the regular season, two episodes a week during the off season. It follows John Viscara's chronological order of the novels and then all the novellas in the way they're supposed to be laid out. And just that content alone is going to last until the end of 2026. That's <laughs> yeah. before I get to book seven, book eight, and book nine. So it's and fucking awesome. And book seven awesome. is coming out next year anyway. So yeah, there you go. go on further there you go. That. All right. All right. From Robert Gale. Later, Dave. He said, uh, I was 100% sure. Oh, sorry. This is a sleigh question. Okay. Uh, I was 100% sure that when Kalista summered, summoned her lawyer, Chuckles Mulroney was going to appear. Oh, no. <laughs> No! <laughs> he's pouting. He's mad. I saw this question when it came in and I was like, oh, he's going to be so mad. Why um, didn't you send me his fucking question? I'm still fucking writing a story. God damn it. Because there's no way I'm getting rid of Shocking Cock Khan. He's a fantastic character. Like, oh, did you step on it? Yeah, I stepped on it again. I love that character, but fuck you. God damn it. Um. Ah. <clears throat> was going to appear in the greatest short story of all time would be connected to the Siglerverse finally. Anyway, my question is about Jerboas. Does okay. anyone in the magical world understand how they work? 
The drug dealer okay. seems to imply that they just do what they do and no one knows why. Uh, there will be more coming on the there will be more information about the Jerboas later. You can tell Rob's not here because I was like, there'll be more coming on the Jerboas later. And I'm like, Rob's going to turn that into a dirty phrase. Just <laughs> me to turn a dirty phrase. So there will be more later about the Jerboas. But no, they most of them, most of the enlightened really don't understand how they work, why they work, who put them in charge. So it's it's there's there's a there's different strata of power in the slay universe which is not part of the Sigliverse. and at the top of that level there are some people there are some people that no, nobody really knows who they are what they're doing or why they're doing what they're doing but uh the jaboas are created by them to create to give punishment for violating the separation between the enlightened and the unenlightened so there's definitely more coming with them they're fucking really cool i really like them so i hope you guys will dig that uh, Ross the Voss asks, where can I find a link to Realm? Just go to, on any browser, go to realm.fm yeah. and then find the search window and search for Scott's name. Also, all the stuff in Realm is on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's everywhere. So basically, wherever you get your podcasts, you can just go and search for Scott Sigler on those and you will find all of the stuff. But if you want to go to Realm, make sure you thumbs up all, you subscribe, thumbs up all the things. It's a, they're fucking really cool people. And uh, we're, we're, we're getting some ads running in the system again. It's very nice. We're very happy. Yeah. Uh, also another Jerboas question. Okay. Uh, this is from Richard Reed. He asks, I have a question about Slay and the Jerboas. Given that they appear at any mention of the hidden world, does this mean that there is no culture of the supernatural or magic in the quote unquote real world in Slay? I can't imagine <laughs> something like, a D, like D&D would be possible if every time kids gathered in the basement to go play, they all got horribly eaten and disappeared. There already is many versions of Slay in the real world in our world. So the Slay story is set in our world. It just happens to have a fictitious, uh, you know, Rust Belt city in it, Lumencia. Conjurings, occultists, channelers, all of that stuff, tarot cards, Ouija boards, all of that stuff in the Slay universe, which is our real world universe, all directly connects to the enlightened world. So the unenlightened is us. The enlightened are the people who see things as they actually are, which is all the hidden strata going on in there. All right, from Chris Thompson. Does the ancient cursed hatchet that Lincoln uses show up anywhere in the GFL? I seem to remember something similar in Killian Carbonara's loadout. Uh, no. No, the uh, the the Skigox, Skigox, Skigox. I can't. I'm trying Easy to for you to say. Easy for me to say. Uh, that is a that is a item that is unique to the Slay world. You will not see that. You probably will not see that in any other in any Siglerverse book. But who can say? You know, if I start writing some ancient Celtic shit, who who can say? Godfrey asks, "What do you feel is the most significant difference between Brian Clouser and Lincoln Franks?" Okay, Brian. Brian Clouser and Lincoln Franks. Well, spoilers. Uh, Brian Clouser, of course, is from Nocturnal. Lincoln Franks is from Slay. I would say Brian Clouser is a, a much more quiet, introspective individual who largely has his life, he has his shit together. If it wasn't for the changes he goes through in Nocturnal, Brian Clouser would be a, a, a highly functional member of the law enforcement community. And he's not incredibly outwardly social, but he's a good guy. He's a reliable guy. He's he's rock solid. He's rock solid. Lincoln Franks is a fucking train wreck through things that you will get to see probably in book two and book three. You'll find out more of why he's, he's a train wreck. He's he's not only a drug user, he's a drug abuser. He is an alcoholic. He's got an enormous amount of problems. He has trouble communicating. He has trouble even accepting his own emotions and his own feelings because he was raised in a family that the Franks are the ultimate monster hunters of all time. They are the rock upon which the Bastion is built. The Bastion is the monster hunting organization. And Lincoln has fallen from that grace and is no longer part of the Bastion. And frankly, he's an embarrassment to his family because of it. And that is really difficult, really difficult for him to process. And my channel for that is my brother, Irv, who is uh, a football coach in Michigan. And, you know, kind of a, has really followed my father's footsteps very, very closely. So I've tried to sort of imagine what would happen. Something happened to my brother, who's this incredibly good dude who helps a ton of people and has changed a lot of lives through his coaching and his teaching. If he kind of fell out and hit the bottle, 
hit the pills, and then couldn't really couldn't really understand why he had screwed up. That is Lincoln Frank. So that, to me, they're very different characters. Uh, also from Godfrey, would Pookie's womanizing charms help him at all with Magda and Ariella, or would he strike out oh, because on. they're still single? Come on. Come on, baby. It's Pookie. <laughs> Baby, hold I on, hold on a second. I don't know. Baby. I don't know. I don't Baby, know. Baby, come on now. Pookie, Pookie knows how to talk to people, knows how to charm people. Because you know what? know how to talk to Magda or Ariella, though. They're not exactly. Pookie, big... Pookie listens. He's an empathetic listener. First of all, I think Pookie and Magda are boning inside of a week. <laughs> but that Tops. doesn't mean they'd be a couple. No, they wouldn't be a couple, <laughs> but they are, they are going to slam that ham. You know what I'm saying? They're going to get their stuff together. Would he get Ariella? I'm not entirely sure at this point. Honestly, that one sort of depends on what Ariella wants. If Pookie pushed any of Ariella's buttons, they're going to pound town. Uh, if not, then he's there's no way he's going to convince her of any of that. I got a lot of sex euphemisms in there. And didn't oh, even... my. Yeah, sure. <laughs> a lot. Uh, one more for from Godfrey. Uh, I heard questions in part one last week about the Bastion and thread work. How disappointed are you that no one has asked about the details of how Bingles actually does his job? Not disappointed at all, uh, because actually this has been the advantage to rolling these out in podcast form is the ability to gather reader information and figure out things that uh, we didn't think would thrill readers. And yet they do. And readers are like, I want to know more about this. Yeah. And that gives us the opportunity to put more work in in future books in the series. And one of the biggest questions we've had besides Jerboa's has been the maker system, the maker magic system that is in Slay. So there's a lot of makers out there. You know, you got your 3D printers, you got your, your welders, your artists, all these people make all this super good people work on cars. Through Across a large swath of people, they want to know more about the details of how it all works, which we're going to provide, not, not to the nth degree. There won't be a manual on how to do it. We're going to give you a lot more information on how this stuff actually works because how it works factors heavily into the story as the story progresses. I think I answered that question. Mm -hmm. Trent Davis, <laughs> David Reedus asks, loved finding out that grandma has powers. Does she have a past with Lincoln's dad? Maybe in the bastion? Also, is Slay a part of the Sigliverse? I'll answer the second one. He's already said it twice on this cast and once on the last cast. No. Not part of the Sigliverse. Well, I said that earlier, but it's possible I lied because I do lie it's for a living. currently not part of the Remember the, the Slay layer, the Enlightened layer, exists in real time with all of us right now. You just can't see it because you are unenlightened. So there, there could be some, some crossovers between the existing Sigliverse and the Slayverse. If they are, though, they'll be very light and very, very funny. I will say there has already been one crossover. I don't know if you caught it. Did you catch it, doll? I don't think I did. There has already been one absolute crossover between the Sigliverse and Slay. If you caught it, you can put it in the chat room, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because I want you to fork out your money for the audiobook and the hardcover because so, I'm an asshole. I'm going to finish a couple more Slay questions and I promise we're moving on to other things. Okay. Um, I think I might have asked this one last week, but I don't care. I'm asking it again. Uh, Kira Mandel says, was Dragon always meant to be a dragon or did it just start as a cute name and then you realized the potential that you'd set up? No, Dragon was always meant to be a dragon. That was one of the first things when Rob joined the team the writing, it's two of us. When Rob joined me writing the story and I'm like, I'm fucking out of control. I don't know how to reel this in. He got like a, a laundry list. I'm like, these are the things that absolutely will happen in the story. And number one was uh, Dragon is an actual fucking dragon. And uh, Cantrell is the only one who knows that, uh, that we see. Magda, of course, knows it, but she doesn't care because it's so cute. Dragon's so cute. That was always there. That was always meant to be a big part of the finale. And the dramatic tension of the, the arcs and slay is telegraphing it to you guys. So you, you know, you know, dragon's got something going on, but you, you're not sure what. And then sort of the red herring, like I literally call the dog's name. The dog's name is dragon. So a lot of you went, well, well, it can't be a dragon. The dog's named dragon. Well, fuck you. Cause it, <laughs> fuck you. Cause it actually is dragon. I love that character. It's my new favorite character in the whole series. So you guys will see more of that pup in future books. These are the other two questions that I wasn't sure if I'd asked last week, Sean. So tell me if I'm doing them twice. Um, and if he gives it different answers both times. Uh, what lessons learned over the course of your career went into the sauce when you wrote Slay? How was your approach significantly different from the first podcast version of Nocturnal? I think that's a great question. 
Yeah, let me give you. You're talking a little quieter uh, now. So do you keep talking? No, the same I can. Way? Yeah, I can same, talk. Talk the same way you're talking. I was okay. bringing you up. I want you to be comfortable and relaxed, baby girl. Uh, I did ask that one last week, so I'll recap what I because I thought about it, um, and I can tell from. Uh, Scott and I started Sean, working together. Sean Dyer's all over it. Uh, I know, excuse yeah. me. Excuse me. I asked me. him to. <laughs> um, so I will say this because I thought I, it might be a double, but I wasn't sure. So I, I will say this from my perspective. Um, Scott and I started working together during that writing of Nocturnal's um, period of time when he was writing throughout the week to, to podcast on Sunday. And back in the day, a million things were different. The technology being the biggest thing. Uh, his ability to write during the week and record on Saturdays and uh, then publish on Sundays was a whole different process than it is now. And he he couldn't do it. You know, I think he was back in his, I'm not sure we had the office quite yet then. So he was back in the closet. Yeah, of I, was, doing, I, was doing in the clo- I was totally in the closet, you guys. Yeah. Totally and, um, and working on that during the week. And that also meant that he was, uh, he, the street that he lived on in San Francisco, the, the wall that the closet was in and up against was a very busy, I think, Six lane street in San Francisco. Fra- Franklin Street, three lanes, one way. It was like listening to a river. It was just constant. Yeah. So he couldn't necessarily record at all times of day. And he had to do a ton of work to clean up after that. Now, the recording equipment has also changed and the digital insides of the recording co- equipment has changed so that he can record in this room uh, quite a lot of things. And that has made everything easier. The other big thing that's changed is in the beginning of Slay, he wrote. Uh, as he was setting up the world and the characters and stuff, he wrote uh, several days a week. But by the end, he was writing just one day a week, Friday, on this. And he's working on his other projects, uh, the four days, the four other days of the week. So uh, he got a lot by the end of Slay and with the addition of Rob, like he said, he was sort of drowning. Um, Rob pulled out quite a lot of um, the stops and they got a shorter, faster book done, which is good for us because in the world of a print on demand printing, size matters. Uh, this is also from Sean. Which published or otherwise broadcast characters kill or generate ki- character kill or generate general violence is Scott most proud of writing? And the corollary question for me: Which violence slash kill scenes did A enjoy the most? The violent scenes. I am a fan of Quentin Barnes because violence within the constraints of athletics is a very interesting thing. Because you have rules, it's a game, everybody's meant to have fun in the game, work hard, fight for it, go for the win. But when I was on the wrestling mat uh, and and on the football field, and that was this big on the football field, (laughs) there wasn't a lot of this. I was literally visualizing hate and trying to kill everyone I went up against. It was a huge outlet for my, um, my violent tendencies. So when I watch Quentin exhibit his violence, especially as an offensive player, I think that's very cool. I think that it's my my background in sports lets me do a, a decent job of portraying that. So I like that. But man, I tell you what, um, Lincoln Franks is the most unabashed, violent killer I've ever had in any of my books. He doesn't give two wet shits. What I one of the, my favorite arcs in Slay is when he's just confused, like why is Billy mad at me that I shot that dude? Like dude, it's fucking Billy's <laughs> best friend. He told you his best friend. And you literally went and stopped and got stale bread for your crow on the way to cut off Billy's head. So that's part of the the magic of Lincoln's character is he's just oblivious. He's been he's been reared in a world of ultraviolence his entire life. He's been raised to be the greatest monster hunter of all time to take over from a legend. He has killed since he's been six. He's like a Genghis Khan type character. So a lot of the subtleties of a life ending are they escape him. So I'm enjoying that character very much because when you inflict violence outside of the sports realm or you actually take a life, unfortunately, that shit fucks with a human being, fucks with them real bad. So it's being able to take uh, take Lincoln and move him into sort of the um, the action movie adventure realm. You know, Schwarzenegger's movies, Pops 12 Guys, doesn't doesn't ever bat an eyelash. That's Lincoln. Yeah. So that's my favorite. That's my fun. So mine's twofold. My answer is twofold. Um, I have said many times on this um, live stream and Throughout uh, having known Scott, my absolute favorite uh, character and story is Red Man. And it's a short story. It's in Bones are White. I mean, uh, Blood is Red. And uh, it breaks my heart because that is societal violence done to an innocent person. And if you haven't read it, I won't spoil that one other than to say what I just said. And I, uh, and to add that it's uh, it's irretrievable and unrecoverable. You can't, it cannot be fixed. And to see that uh, after it has happened and see how 
that destroys that life and that human being is heart, it's heartbreaking. It's hard for me to talk about. Mm. It's so heartbreaking to me. That said, my favorite killing is Hippo, <laughs> without question. Yeah, it's he's Hippo. pretty fun. He's so, um, uh, uh, in in some ways, kind of like Lincoln Franks, but not as not as woebegone, not as violent, and not as deadly. He understands what he's doing, and the reason he thinks it's okay for him to do it, um, and does it with gusto. So yep. that's okay. that's my answer. Yep. Um, and then uh, last, I will say the last question from Sean that I don't think I asked last week is, have we ever heard the Sklorno language switching to the GFL? No, we have not heard the Sklorno language. The, uh, the idea with the Sklorno largely is their auditory and visual color perceptions operate at a higher level than ours. So the Sklorno have a, a, a broader uh, a broader spectrum of listening and sound pronunciation. So they have some ultra, what would to us would be ultrasound and infrasound. They see ultraviolet, they see infrared to some degree. So their, their, their level of communication is meant to be extremely alien to us as humans, because we don't communicate with color and yeah. we don't communicate with fluctuation in frequencies the same way they do. So that's part of what the, the, the joyousness of them talking in English and having their churches because they don't understand us either. Yeah. They, they don't understand us <laughs> fucking at all. That's they don't true. get it. There's all these layers of context that are just missing for them. So they just assume it's some kind of godlike supernatural thing. Uh, it's it's I enjoy that part quite a bit. All right. I will. I want to step back to the last question because in the chat room, I think on uh, Facebook, David Lamb just mentioned the Tweety brothers seem pretty badass and killers. And I will add one um, restraint of violence that I think is an pitch perfect moment that Scott wrote, which is there's a moment where, and this is a huge spoiler. So jump back in in thirty seconds if you haven't read the all the of the GFL. You can. There is a moment when the fake Killian Carbonaro gets discovered and Quentin is absolutely going to tear him limb from them. And John shows up at the restaurant, John Tweedy shows up at the restaurant and is totally nonchalant about it. Um, if you're going to kill him, kill him. If you, you want me to kill him, I'll kill him. You want me to kill him, I'll kill him. I'll kill him. I don't care, it's fine. But he, he sort of works through that with Quentin and I think prevents Quentin from doing something that I, that, John would be able to do in a heartbeat and have no no qualms about. But Quentin, who is still discovering himself and still growing into the person that he will become and still wrestling with his orphan identity and his purest nation identity and all of that, John doesn't have any of that. John has been supported his entire life by his mom. He's wildly successful when they meet all these things. And he does the favor to Quentin of letting him off the hook in a good and graceful way. because. I believe he believes, and I certainly believe myself, Ooh, that one. Quentin absolutely wouldn't have been able to handle that. Uh, Donna Millar points out Farm Girl from, oh, uh, from Earthcore. And, okay, she's she's a psychopath. And, and she's, uh, if I'm using that word correctly, she she is someone who enjoys inflicting a lot of pain, loves the power that it gives her, loves the control she gets over people with both her skills her violence and her sexuality, which ropes people back into the first two. She feels much maligned, much put upon. She thinks she got totally screwed in life because why wouldn't, why would they not understand? Of course that kid had to die to get the mission done. So uh, she is, uh, she is a disturbing character to write. Probably the most disturbing character I have to write because she, she's in our world, not in the slay ultraviolet world. And she just fucking doesn't get it. She doesn't yeah. get, she doesn't get how she got her career screwed. And it's, it's like a lot of psychopaths. They don't get it. Yes, more scotch. Where, sure. Where? Great. Howdy. I am Scott, the author of this story. This episode is sponsored by Factor Meal Kits. Eating better is easy with Factor's tasty, ready-to-eat meals. There are 35-plus different options to choose from, including Protein Plus, Keto, and Calorie Smart. Want more tasty math? There are 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor meals are no prep, no mess. 
A box of meals ships right to your door, saving you time. Unlike those runs to the grocery store, if you know what I'm saying. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. I have eaten a bunch of Factor meals, and I got to tell you, they are really good. So head to factormeals.com slash Sigler50 and use the code Sigler50 to get 50% off. That's code Sigler50 at factormeals.com slash Sigler50 to get 50% off. Kim Hansen asks, while I do this, uh, this is a real-world Sigler question, not Sigler-verse question. If Scott ever got a movie contract, would he do cameos a la Hitchcock or Stan Lee? As a child of the 80s and a, and a wannabe writer back in the day, um, Stephen King was the fucking gold standard. And Stephen King getting a cameo in everything that he did and Stan Lee getting cameos in everything they did, that to me helped elevate them above their already stratospheric level. It provided a connection with their fan base, and it was this Easter egg that everybody was always waiting for. Every Marvel movie you saw, even after fucking Stan Lee died, he's still doing fucking cameos. They figured that out. It's a delight. It's a delight to watch Stephen King or Stan Lee show up. That has always been one of my goals. In fact, in the three times I've sold a show that didn't get made, it's been in the contract. Yep. <laughs> it's like, listen, man, I don't really give a shit about money all that much, but you will put my fucking ass in the contract, in the, in the show with a speaking part that is non-negotiable. And everybody's been like, cool, whatever, bro. And then it, it just didn't get made. So yes, I absolutely want to have a cameo in everything. Stanley King, love him. Go. <laughs> we have a handful of questions that are all over the map now. I will try to do my best to tell you what they are spoiling uh, before. Uh, William Price sent in a handful of great questions uh, about the crypt. And these go on a little bit. So let me start here. Um, this is about the 2010 Crypt broadcast. I can't believe it was 2010. I just looked at my files and I was shocked. Anyway, my questions are about the how the, the 2010 The Crew broadcast um, relates to the new Crypt shakedown. Are the crew bios that we heard in 2010 100% canon or 0% or somewhere in between? The crew bios you heard in the Crew Stories podcast prequel are zero canon, zero, zero, zero. You will hear many of them, including all five point of view, no, four, four no, all five, all five point of view characters in the Crypt Book One Shakedown are stories that you heard in the Crew Stories. They have been updated and modified both with my increased writing skill and then also in a way that fits them better into the context. I'll say this, we probably don't need to answer this again, but basically we we looked heavily at just doing, just taking the crew stories, editing that with a vision for how do we have to modify these so they all fit into book two, and then just doing crew stories, and then book two is getting on the ship. And uh, frankly, I thought it was a, it was a, we just thought it was a bad business idea. I'm not going to ask people to read 380 pages of right. character stories Without knowing where they go, I thought that would get tired. I thought they'd get trite. I'm not glad. We did a good job on the podcast. The podcast kicked ass. People loved it. But when you put a book into the market, a physical book, an audio book, an ebook in the marketplace, we thought that was a bridge too far. So what we did is take the five I wanted in book one, and then there will be more character stories in book two as more people join the cast. So in book one, you get to see the five point of view stories. Then you get to see the ship and all these people come on and you get their shared experiences as the point and of your rotation. And you meet rotates. some new people. And you meet some new people. And then in book two, you're going to see some new people and then you're going to get backstory for them, like more like Lost. Here they are. Let's find out how they got here. We don't know. Plus, some of the people you see in book one will have their crew story in book two. Mm -hmm. So I, this overall is just a better product. You guys just got to trust me. When you get through with book one, I think you will see this is a better way to tell the story. Um, and I will also say that uh, we've talked, we talked about the crew stories a bunch of times. Um, there were several reasons. The biggest one was that uh, in, in the era that those were put out and podcast fiction was in its, in its heyday, its big heyday, um, 
And there weren't, there was a patio books and, and a lot of those writers that co-wrote were within the patio book sphere with him. That was a hey, more interesting course. and vi visceral experience to go through as a junkie in general. That probably wouldn't have worked, like Scott said, for 300 pages of stories that don't connect to anything without all the talky talk around it and the knowing of yeah. the relationships that were around it. So we chose not to do that. Another thing is it's possible in fact, likely that not every crew member that you met. Somebody asked what this says. Uh, <laughs> Be careful or you'll wind up in my novel. Go ahead, uh, not every crew, crew member that you met will make it into Correct. these novels. Correct. Uh, and we're going to do uh, the best. Yeah. Uh, Sean Watts, Scott did see Adam Savage in Dragon County. He had dinner with Adam Savage on Thursday He's night. He's awesome. He's great. <laughs> did we get, I'm so sorry. I asked somebody to repeat a question, phrase a question another way. Did we get to that? Did he rephrase it? Dave Smith there. That's Spike, actually. So scroll oh. down a little. Scroll up. A little. I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, uh, whoever asked that question, I asked to rephrase it. Just copy, paste, type it in. Type um, it in again. Let's see. There's more questions here. Uh, William Price continues uh, talking about the crypt. Asked, if I go back and re-listened to the crew stories, will that just confuse me when I buy and nah. listen to the crypt? No. Nah. If, if you have them saved... And here's how I think you approach this. So anyone, anyone listening to the podcast, if you have the crew story saved from back in the day, or you attain them from someone else, there are zero spoilers in the crew stories that are going to ruin your enjoyment of the crypt. What might be fun if you have them, you can listen to all of those before you listen to the new book. And then in the new book, I really think you will see my, how my skill level has improved and how we have threaded everything into a five-book arc, as opposed to this super cool idea that a lot of you, frankly, listen to because you knew me, and you listened to me, and you trusted me, and I gave you that entertainment. So I would do both. I would go back and listen to those stories and see what happens. I will point out, though, we get a lot of requests for Bent Wrench, Bench, Bent Wrench Kreitz. Mm -hmm. He is not in the series. He will not be in the series. Uh, we're not going to go into too much detail, but there is a reason that we've just flat out dropped him. Not going to be in there. I'm sorry that's a disappointment. Hopefully, I will have other characters that you will enjoy just as much. Um, and then uh, William also asked about how this, the crew stories, if they're relevant to the new stuff, which he's just answered, they'll kind of come in, sprinkled in throughout. And the last thing he asked about what used to be called the Crypt Book 2 Shakedown. And obviously, uh, that title has become the title of the Crypt that's coming out in two and a half weeks. Um, the reason for that is all those crew stories were sort of pre-information and the shakedown is what you call the first uh voyage mm -hmm. of a new crew on a ship yeah so this one is the shakedown cruise and uh you'll see the new team members and everything uh that would normally happen that would have happened and if you are unfamiliar with the 2010 crypt uh podcast it shakedown was i think just one two stories we two, did two two stories, two stories uh, rolling in a shakedown and then uh oh well, you're here i'm so glad career career got busy and really quick uh real quick two things from the chat room donna millar said she sold four earth core books while she was in the er with her hand and i'm like the fuck are you talking about you gotta explain it. you gotta explain it to him she said and i quote Last year, July 4th, I fell while walking down the arch. My hand was mangled. When I got to the air, I told him it looked like Farm Girl had gotten a hold of it. <laughs> so I introduced them to Earthcore, and she says she sold four or five copies of Earthcore because she was like, look at my hand. It's like, first, it's, like, it's like Farm Girl got to it. I love it. Thank you. And then Nick Glad says, I think the reformat of the Crypt is brilliant. I love the original Crypt, but my only disappointment was not getting into the ship and going on a mission. Love that this is integrated now. That is exactly what we're talking about. A goal for a lot of sci-fi writers, as we've all seen Battlestar Galactica and Star Wars and Star Trek. And people just sort of want Babylon 5. They want their ship because ships take on a personality and character of their own and fans fall in love with a specific ship. The, the Rokinante, if I'm pronouncing that right, from The Expanse, you know, there's this, the ship becomes an icon and an anchor for your emotional experiences within that series. So of course I've always wanted one and mine is darker than anybody else's. It's dark, 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 but yeah, not getting to see the ship all the way through book one. It wasn't going to work. So here we go. We, we I will it say, uh, will William Price, who is in the chat room, uh, on Facebook, I think, no, on YouTube, uh, and sent in a whole bunch of great questions. His last question was, how excited am I to get the crypt on October 3rd? <laughs> so thank you for all those great questions. 
We did get a question from David Lamb. Uh, will the crew stories ever be made available again? The answer is no. However, we are not on a, we're never going to offer them again. Those are, that's a first draft. Mm -hmm. First draft, rough draft to get us to where we are now. And fucking you guys are going to, you're going to understand why we did it when you read this book. Um, but we also are not out on a pogrom to get rid of older versions, which we have done before. We've done a shadow ban on older versions before. We won't talk about it right now. We've reached out to all the key players and Sigler junkies in Facebook. And I'm like, can you guys just not share this shit? If you want to save it for yourself, it's fine. But we don't want to share it. We don't give a shit about the old true stories. You find them. They're clearly not canon. So go crazy. Ask other junkies. Josh Carter asks, was mainly wondering if you're still planning to release hardcover copies of Earthcore and Mount Fitzroy. I have both in paperback, but I would love them in hardback. What? But I'm just curious. That's a maybe. He was going to say yes. That's a maybe. The issue is Mount Fitzroy is so oh, very right. big, can only be printed on one physical printer in the entire world. What if we did it as two volumes? Well, sure. We talked about doing that in the beginning with the crypt or okay. with uh, with Fitzroy. And we may. So the answer is maybe, probably, but we don't know yet. What my hope is, is that we give a little more time to the distance between the hardcovers and the audiobook versions and all that stuff. And then putting together sort of an omnibus edition, probably as a, a as a as a special order. I'm not really sure. Um and in that time, the ability to print that book gets easier. That's my hope. But I, I cannot tell you right now, please feel free to ask every Q&A if you want, because we, we're keeping an eye on it. We're Our gonna... hope is we we absolutely Fuck want Paul, to do know. that. Paul, asked, but... Paul, I'm going to ask, do you remember the word count of Fitzroy? Is it 235? Yeah, it's somewhere in the 230s. 235,000 words is my best guess. Pages. It's so big, it almost fucked our business. You know, I'm at a certain level of my career... We don't have, uh, we, we control our spending. There's not a lot of conspicuous consumption in the Sigler West Coast family. We're in, we're in good shape in all these regards. So basically with Mount Fitzroy, we were putting it out and we, we sold it to Audible. We initially, we were putting it out and he's like, write the book you want to write, write the book you want to write. And I'm like, I will. Turns out the book I want to write is so fucking big that it breaks printers. So therefore we're not doing that again. And we'll try and find a way to put them out in hardcover. But if they ever do come out in hardcover, it'll probably be Earthcore, Fitzroy Volume 1, Fitzroy Volume 2. And you'll have to buy them as a set. It'll cost you a fucking ton. It may even be the point where it has to be Earthcore Volume 1 and 2 and Fitzroy Volume 2. So I know that'll take up blocks on your shelf. But if we get there, we'll get there. Uh, okay, so let's see. Uh, Mike Wurz says, Certified Girthocalypse Fitzroy is... Ha ha ha. I'm glad you had the ha ha. It's very important. All right. Let me just check because there's a couple of sort of strategy questions. Oh, Steve shit. Smith has a handful of questions. Um, he asks, this is from uh, Earthcore. Do Bertha Libran and Patrick O'Doyle have any descendants who play in the GFL? Mm. Uh, well, I will say, obviously, Pookie Chang has a descendant that plays in the GFL. And a some, of you, some of you are like, ha ha, you wrote him into the, in the story twice. Ha ha. No, fuck you. No, it's that's his great, 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 great grandson. So there you go. So screw you. Um, probably. I don't know. It's super fun to take a modern day era Sigliverse characters and slip their descendants into the GFL. So we'll see. Remember, there's three more GFL books, guys. Three more. And they're all huge. Yeah, well, he, but they're, they're not as big as Fitzroy. Huge. I can tell you that. Nothing will sure. ever be as big as Fitzroy. Or that's the only way you're going to get GFL book 10. Now, when I try, I'll say this real quick. There's a current, a current trend in sci-fi writing where you've got these talented people, these talented authors who also understand marketing and understand putting things out on a schedule. So sometimes a nine-book series is basically one story chopped up into nine parts. Fantasy, too. And these parts don't have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They're just a piece of the story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're talking, these things wind up being well over... 10,000 pages. They're huge, huge tales. That's not something we do. If you buy a book from Empty Set Entertainment, if you buy a Scott Sigler book, you get a beginning, you get a middle, you get an end. And if the end is not, you're not happy with the end, you get to finish your story and then fucking walk away. You get to ghost out. You don't have to come back to find out what happened. That's how we do things. So that's why we are not going to have books all that big. Also from Steve Smith, did the rock to pie keep Angus cool alive for research purposes or was it more like revenge? I cannot answer that question. 
I think yes. At this time. I don't know. I will I say, yes. those of you who've read Mount Fitzroy, spoiler alert, they're not happy with Angus Cole. No. And also, there's a bit of a breakdown. Uh, a breakdown. I think, as human beings, there are a large percentage of human beings who have trouble thinking of human beings from other cultures as actual sentient human beings. <clears throat> and a lot of people... In our own culture, in our own Western American culture, who look at people from other cultures and just they're dismissive. They don't deserve to live. I don't care if they live or die because they're other. They're alien. Now, imagine what that's like if you were actually a fucking alien. So uh, I will say Angus is in for a rough time. Uh, his last question. <coughs> Pardon me. Was does the GFL have cheerleaders besides the male Sklornos? Of course. <laughs> I had a scene from. The Rookie, and I, I don't think I put this into the final book, especially when it became a YA book, where the male Sklorno fan section had to have a, from the field to the top of the stadium, plexiglass put into place. And this is this is 20 years pre-COVID, you guys. Maybe 30. No, 20. Anyways, it's decades pre-COVID. Because when they saw the female players on the field they tended to throw their ejaculate at the female because that is how Sklorno reproduce. So the males are downtrodden, put upon. They're a subjugated class. They can't vote. They can't own property. The females run everything in the Sklorno culture. But if a female Sklorno isn't all gussied up and buttoned up from head to toe, a male Sklorno can throw sperm at them. And if it lands, then that female Sklorno is going to get pregnant. And that is how their culture works. So as you can imagine... The male Sklorno section of a GFL game has not only a plexiglass shield, but a lot of windshield wipers going on. It's gross. It didn't make it in the final cut, but that was my original vision. The Infected Trilogy is an unabridged three-season audio fiction series from number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. 88 episodes, 53 hours of horror are free and available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Jason Lombardo asks, was Quentin's relationship with Becca Montaigne pre-planned or did it develop organically? Do you see issues developing between Q and Becca because of their morals? Example, Q like his likely dealings with the remains of the syndicate that he now leads. Will Becca's role in the series change at all because of motherhood? I'll tell you two things. Number one, book seven covers an enormous amount of what you're talking about. Throughout the rest of the series, I would say books six, seven, eight, and nine Largely, the, the, the Quentin-Becker relationship is directly informed and influenced by my relationship with my wife right here, who I adore like nobody's fucking business. Mm -hmm. So as somebody mentioned earlier, I channeled my divorce into my work. I channeled my relationship with the evil queen into my work and just trying to communicate those the emotions I'm feeling because the emotions are what translates across all the decades, all the centuries, yeah. all the millennia. Human beings are human beings, and we feel the same way. The Romans felt the same way about their their bay as we feel about our bay. There's just there's no fucking difference whatsoever. Becca and Quentin are down for the gunfight. Uh, that's the only spoiler I will give you. They are in cahoots with each other and crazy about each other. And God help the person who tries to get between those two because it's not going to end well. And it's not just Quentin. Don't cross Becca Montaigne, dude. Don't cross uh, it. So, Steve, there are no official GFL cheerleaders. That is true. Uh, how do you put together a cheerleader team with five or six different races? Yeah, I represent everybody. Some outfits would be very, very tiny, and some would be big, tiny. Mike Wurz says, uh, I'd hate to be the janitor for the male Sklorno section. Sure. And this doesn't, they didn't make it in any books, but you all now know. When you listen to the GFL and you re-listen to the GFL and Book 7 comes out, there's a whole corner of every stadium where there's a bunch of male Sklorno, the bed bugs just, just tossing off. Josh Carter also asked, interested in knowing about what the process is when trying to get a book deal with a new company for no particular reason, just interested, fascinated by it, and was wondering how what the behind the scenes was like. I've put in enough work and sold enough books and have a big enough fan base, thanks to all of you, mwah, mwah, that it's pretty easy for me to get a book deal at this point. If I want to go to traditional publishing, my agent could knock that shit out within six months. So the fact that I haven't had a big five, big four, big six, whatever publishing deal since 2015 is our choice. It is because we are running a small business. We think we can do a better job at an enormous amount of this. 
And I've been so disappointed a lot of times by big publishing because when they're done with you, they just walk away and they don't, they ghost. It's crazy. It's bad for business. We think we do a better job of providing you guys entertaining products that make you keep coming back for more on our own. But the Athon crew, uh, Athon Books, has been great. We were introduced to them by Nicholas Sansbury Smith, the author of the Fantastic Helldiver series. And the guys at Athon, they remind us of us 15 years ago. You know, they remind us of us when we were just like rolling up them sleeves, getting to work, just doing it. We, we dug cold together. A and I dug cold together to quote a justified line. Mm-hmm. And now we would like to not dig coal all day long. <laughs> We'd like to clean out from under our fingernails and relax. We, we would like to get a shower and hang out all night. <laughs> Play a little Fortnite, watch some TV, hang out, enjoy the football, and that work fucking 18-hour days. The guys at Athon are working 18-hour days all the time, are very smart and very good at what they do. So making a deal with those guys was uh, was pretty easy, pretty straightforward, and we were extremely open to them. Like, we used to be you. We don't want to be you anymore. We like you, though. Would you like to take this book and sell <laughs> the shit out of it? Here you go. Let's make a deal. So they're fantastic, and we're super excited. Chris Grawl re-asks a question from this chat. Will we see what happened to the Washington, D.C., and will you kill the rest of the attendees from that stop in the rookie tour? Nope. That's 105 names. Yeah. Uh, the, You'll see some of them, I bet. To do that, I would have to put an appendix in a book, which is not, not possible, to list all of the crew names for a ship that is not the Keeling. So that now goes back to the publishers because uh, we're more in a, well, I'm more in a writer, we're in a writer publisher role. So I would have to sell that to the guys at Athon, get their buy-in, and then write that into the story. Unless I write a prequel, you're not going to see the point of view of people who are not on the ship. Right. One of the key goals I have for the series is the othering of people who are on the enemy vessels. I've never served the American military, but I'm pretty sure if you are in a Navy ship in the U.S. Navy, you are convinced that the Russians or the Chinese are smart and capable and competent, but they are other. And they are literally, their job is to kill you. You're not going to get in their head. And then when you add that, you add the, the alien factor, a completely different biological life form than a human, it's going to get complicated. The GFL, all the races get along together. In the crypt, alien so is fucking alien and it's weird and you kill it. Uh, Donald Wolvidge asked um, in the Facebook chat, are we going to get anything more from the reef? Title fight and the reef are closely tied together. The answer is uh, no. The GFL novellas are completely done. Turns out I thought I could get other people to write in the Sigliverse and I could just like give them a framework and let them write. I'm an asshole and a control freak. Anyways, the answer is no. That was a failed experiment. I may co-write with people on a thing in the future, but there will be nobody else writing the GFL but me. So the answer is no. Yeah. And that's actually true of, of every piece of the GFL novellas. I think he kind of covered that. But just to be clear, no crypt, no more title fight, no more reef. I mean, sorry, yeah. not crypt. There'll be much more crypt. I meant reef. I would say it's it's only big papa from here on out, except I'm kind of small. So it's a little, <laughs> little papa from here on out. That's all you're going to get, son. Uh, Word Squared asks, uh, the Kretorakians use entropic rifles. Is this because there's no kickback? Flying objects and kickback is tough to count. 100%. Absolutely fucking spot on. You're the first person to catch that shit. Congratulations. <laughs> Isaac Comer asks, has anyone in the Sigliverse in the time of the GFL ever noticed it's a bit hypocritical of the Kretorakians to justify their war against other species on the basis that other species are warlike? No, because the Kretorakians, like human beings, are oblivious to basic logic and empathetic communication with others. You don't got to go any farther, any farther than to watch the current American political landscape to realize that it's super duper easy, barely an inconvenience for people of one party to other the people of the other party and turn them into buffoons. These are idiotic buffoons who don't understand what they're saying. Not only that, they're trying to take all of our stuff. They're trying to take away our way of life. This happens with people who are exactly like each other in all formats. And uh, if it happens there, it's clearly going to happen with aliens. We're going to have a different perspective on things. Amy and Jim ask of all stories movies tv shows comics etc do you have a favorite dragon if so why mine is favorite dragon (laughs) okay i'm gonna write off dragon because dragon you guys are not even prepared for what that little fucking dog is gonna do (laughs) gosh favorite dragon i was a big fan 
of the dragons in the Game of Thrones series, both the TV series and the books. I thought uh, I thought George did a phenomenal job with balancing a highly intelligent animal that is still an animal. They still have primitive reactions. Mm -hmm. You can't negotiate with a George R. R. Martin dragon. You can't rationalize with them. You can connect with them, but you cannot control them. You can't say bad dragon, don't do this because they weigh multiple tons and can light you on fire. So I, I was a big fan of those, big fan of the Temeraire series. It was fucking straight magic to me. Mm -hmm. It was so good. If you guys, you guys are fans of war fiction and dragons, the Temeraire series, I cannot recommend it enough, full stop. It's sensational and amazing. The Napoleonic Wars with an air force of dragons, sensational. That being said, I got to go all the way back to Anne McCaffrey, the Dragon Riders of Pern series, and all the associated things that went with it. I read that when I was a, a little kid, and I, to this day, I adore my dog. I love Reese so much. And now that she's getting all the gray muzzle, I, all I do is every time I pet her, I'm like, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to pet this dog forever. Like it could be tomorrow, it could be five years, but we're on, we're on the downslope. And Anne McCaffrey was the one who really captured that essence mm -hmm. of that deep love because Anne McCaffrey, it's not a pet. It's a partner. It's a pal. It's your friend. And I have to tell Reese when it's you're like, you are my favorite thing in the whole world. And in a lot of ways, she is. Of course, A is my favorite thing in the whole world. <laughs> but Reese has this special siloed connection. The answer to the question is the Anne McCaffrey series, the first three Dragon Rider books are unreal. So good. If you haven't read them, you should go get them right now. Uh, Spike, so much. Thank for, you, David. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us a little bit, Spike. Um, Love you, Spike. So then I have one more question and then we're going to play Darren's video okay. that we opened the thing with. Um, and then we're going to be done. So this is from Bruce Bach. He says, uh, Bruce Bach. Yes. <laughs> What's up, Bruce Bach? I don't think he's in the house right now. Maybe he'll listen to the podcast after. That's Bruce perfect. Bach and I graduated high school together along with Dr. Daniel Baker, PhD, and Rob Otto, my fucking co-writer, and Rob Tinarella, who might still be in the house. Bruce Bach was the smartest motherfucker in the fucking room. And this is the thing. The room was full of smart motherfuckers. We are from a tiny town in northern Michigan. Dude, our graduating class was exceptional. People have gone on to do wonderful, fun things. And Bruce Bob was that quiet motherfucker who just sat there just processing everything. And I love him and he's great. All right, let's get this question. Okay. In listening to the Rookie Podcast for the first time in a few years, I was struck by the use of Quentin's danger sense or battle sense in the book. Apologies if you named it something in the Stone Wolves sure. and I'm forgetting. Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of questions around this. One, when the rookie was originally written, did you intend this to be his danger sense and just wrote it like the typical great athlete feels things in slow motion? If so, bravo for hiding it so well in plain sight. Or is this something that you didn't really intend that way and it's just evolved over time as you went through the series and figured out how you wanted to write it? It was intentional from square one, and it absolutely parallels things that happened to me in the athletic theater. Um, and when are you writing? What's that? And when you're writing. When I'm writing, it's a, it's a little bit different. When I'm writing large, if I get into the zone writing, large blocks of time will go by and I'm unaware of it and in a different realm. And the only reason I realize I've been there is when I have to pee. And eventually that alarm will percolate up to the top like I'm hungry. I have to pee. I haven't gotten out of this chair in seven hours. And the athletic front's a little different because there's so much sensory input coming and it's sensory input layered over muscle memory, previous training, and intellectual pursuit of trying to predict what the other, what the opposition is going to do. And I've had it only, it's only happened a few times, uh, maybe three or four or five times in my wrestling career where shit, my body just did its own thing. And I had no idea I had done, I'll tell a story this. I had no idea I'd done a thing until I watched film. Uh, afterward, like, holy fuck, I can do that. <laughs> and then <laughs> it's embarrassing. It's so and bad. then it happened maybe two or three times on the football field. And remember when I got to the, the, the junior senior level, I was not a starter because I was just so small and slow, but uh sophomore nice year, you, freshman year, there were a couple times where shit just happened. And it was literally in slow motion. I picked off a pass as a sophomore against Jackson Northwest. And this is, it was in garbage time of the game. We were crushing these guys, but I get in and this guy threw a ball. And from, I'm going to guess 30 yards away, I saw it coming. I saw where everybody else was in the field. I knew where the ball was going. 
And it was one of the hardest things I've ever done because I, my brain accelerated to a level where my physical reaction when I was moving as fast as I could felt like sludgy slow motion. And I actually got anxious. I'm like, I'm going to be able to pick off this pass if I can just get <laughs> there in time. And I finally got the ball, intercepted the pass. It was a huge highlight of my career. And, but it was fucked up. The only way to describe it, it was completely fucked up because it was just ultimate time consolidate, time dilation. Yeah, for sure. And it was, it was nuts. So that I, that I dealt with. Can I tell the story? Is it this one? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I was going to say. <laughs> this is this is one of my favorite time dilation sports moments. So of sorry, we've gone over our time a little bit, but you guys might enjoy this. Hey, Brian, if, you, if you're, nice if you're fans you. of the if you're fans of the stream, uh, you've heard this before. But uh, my senior year, I had gone from literally being the smallest guy in our class playing uh, varsity football at 105 pounds. 105. <laughs> Go get him, Tiger. Pounds, and then we got wrestling. My junior year in high school, we got wrestling. And for the first time in my life, I'm wrestling against guys who are actually my size. And I loved it. So junior year, <laughs> I go, I think it was uh, 8 and 16, and, and, and took my lumps because anyone was doing. But senior year, I was captain of the team, and I was could whoop everyone on the team, basically, except Rob Tinarella, if you're in the room. I was whooping on, I was whooping on guys who were much larger than me and because I worked out constantly. I had no life. All I did was work out. And then in my tiny little brain, tiny brain, I decide, you know what? Caffeine's great. <laughs> caffeine makes you operate at a higher level. I was like the Joe Rogan of caffeine. I was all about the caffeine. And then we had this thing called the one for the road bars. I don't know if they had these across the, the country, but a one for the road bar was made for truckers. Hence one for the road. It was a candy bar, chocolate covered, caramel, walnuts, and the equivalent of two cups of, ca of coffee in caffeine in every one for the road bar. So before a match. Oh, wait. And what? Jolt's Cola. Jolt, 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 Jolt. And we also <laughs> had, hasn't had it either today. We also way. had Jolt introduced because apparently a six pack of Mountain Dew is not enough. I got to have a fucking Jolt Cola. If you guys don't know Jolt Cola, look it up. I think it's illegal now. It's a so, precursor to Four Loco. Yeah. <laughs> so I would have two to four one for the road bars and probably three Jolt Colas. And you were... Wrestling and I was at 126? 126 pounds. So I was ingesting a cardiac arrhythmia level of caffeine before every fucking match. It was constant. It was just, I was so fucking wired all the time. I didn't know I was doing this until I watched film after the match. The three matches before mine, 98, uh, 105, 112, and 126, I would walk along the edge of the match. <laughs> And this glare, I'll look at the camera and try and give you the guys a glare because I would see who the guy was going to wrestle and I would do this. <laughs> because how, in my head, is in my head, I was telling myself a story because I'm a storyteller and the story was that motherfucker wants to kill my mom and I'm going to kill that motherfucker first. It was fucking constant. And I didn't, I didn't know how much caffeine, I didn't know I was doing it. So we get into the match. Here's the final story. We get into the match. And I go out there, I'm not that good of an athlete. I just work very hard and I'm very aggressive. So there's things I can accomplish to sort of punch above my weight class. When I got against real wrestlers who were very talented, I usually got beat. That was just the way it was. But this kid comes out. This kid was not a talented athlete. He's probably fucking 16. And I'm just oh like, God. and I'm just like, gonna fucking kill you. I'm gonna kill you, motherfucker. Get out of man. Like this big. Fucking come in. And I, I, I grab his head, pop it off my shoulder. Illegal. Fucking turn this way so the ref doesn't see it. Elbowed him. Illegal. Did that. Get him down the mat. Fucking drop him. And then I, I slip in a half Nelson. And then I pinned him in 17 seconds. And he gets off the mat. And he's just glaring at me. Just this. It's only a, it's only a teenager can glare. So hurt and so angry. And I'm like, whatever, bro. She fucking shouldn't have stepped on the mat. We should have forfeited like the last two guys. We wouldn't even get on the mat with me because I'll fuck you up. And... <laughs> And I'm like, come back, my boys. I high five. I'm having a great time. Coach's like, good job, Scott. Good job, Scott. And then um, watching the film, I did a leg pick step through that to this day I can't do. I don't remember how I did it. But in the film, 
I did it fucking like an Olympic. It was flawless. I bu, 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 and this is something coach had shown me and it's stored somewhere in the lizard brain. And then to finish the job, <laughs> slip in the half. And I did what is known in wrestling as the five on two. That's five fingers and two testicles. And I very illegal had him on his back. So the ref, the ref was looking at his shoulders and I just fucking absolutely grabbed his nuts and just crushed his fucking nuts. And then he went, of course he went rigid because God forbid a 16 year old boy chef, someone, another guy touches nuts. Like, Oh my God, am I gay? I'm pinned. And like <laughs> went rigid. He's pinned. I walk off. I'm all fucking swagger. And I'm watching the film. I'm like, I should probably not have as much caffeine. <laughs> maybe a little, maybe a little less caffeine. I uh, don't remember any. I don't remember any of it except for watching the film. So that all goes into Quentin's field vision. It's all. It all informs the story. So while you get ready to play that uh, video comment, mm -hmm. I will mm -hmm. say to wrap up this. Some notes from the chat room. <laughs> Steve Rickerberg in the Facebook chat room said, maybe you didn't get a lot taller because you had so much caffeine. And he actually talks oh, no. about starving himself for it's wrestling. It's the weight cut. Has, has probably stunted his growth because his both of his parents are tall. His brother is tall. Taller. Uh, Herb's 5'10". Yeah. Um, Dad's 5'11". Five, five, I, should, I should at least be 5'10", and frankly, probably about 40 pounds bigger and not, not carrying that in a bad way. My brother's a lot. He's a significantly larger guy than I am. My dad significantly larger my nephew is fucking 6'4 220 and played but, for the cardinals but his mother is also quite tall and his mom, mother's family is also I'm, not your mother tyler's mother uh, his mom, mom was extremely tall too sure but tyler has has two yeah, tyler's yeah. got six eight people in the family yeah so there's a lot of genetics in the family but i didn't eat yeah. I didn't eat my fucking senior year at all. I just cut, 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 cut. Yeah. And Nelson shared with us that Jolt Cola is still commercially available. Yeah. We want to try it, but we're not having it well, here. Can we do it for one episode? Maybe. Maybe one Jolt. I can buy well, one Jolt. Maybe, one Jolt. Maybe do that. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, the, you're going to call up Darren's uh, comment. Yep. So we are done with the Q&A. If you have Q&A questions, feel free at any moment you think of one throughout any story, any signal in place walking in the grocery store and you see Joel Cole and you want to let us know Donna Millar, who just left the chat room you, is William. really good at this. It is um, Brian. So really. Full. And, uh, Sean Dyer is absolutely exquisite at this. When you think of a question you'd like to know during the Q and a, you don't have to wait for us to ask. Just email it to info at empty set, put Q and a next Q and a in the subject line. Ooh, and chat. that'll be that. I'm trying to reply to chats and shit's going fucking nuts. Over. I can't even fucking click on it. Hold on. Oh, it's not, it's not still commercially available. Uh, it's apparently vintage on eBay. Maybe we won't. Cola. No, we're not going to have a vintage Joel Cola. No. <laughs> so then no. we have one video comment for our Q&A. This is a comment about the end of Slay, and he oh, had to God. do it by Don, video. Donald Woolbridge added Copenhagen to the mix at 125. Yeah, so Oof. we had, uh, I was from Sheboygan. We had a lot of fellas with a fucking chaw in. A little dip in. Get that dip, buddy. Spit out. I also saw went to college a lot. In college, I'll tell this story. Now, I wrestled 126 in college for two years. And real quick, uh, our meal when we were cutting was ramen noodles without the noodles. It was just water in the flavor packet. That was it. Water in the sodium. Water in the sodium. That's all, that's all we had because it was a, a bit of flavor and we couldn't eat food. All right, we're playing this shit now. So I was listening to the epilogue and um, just as Scott is describing the being that is wielding this massive power coming towards us, I'm driving and I start, I start. Oh, I'm not shaking, but I'm shouting at the radio. You shook. It's grandma. You shook. It's grandma. It's fucking grandma. But still, it wasn't until the very end that, you know, that. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> And then no, that's, that's good to know. All right. Uh, so I will also good, say you, our dear friend, Angela Clark, is in the chat room. And she said, like a tiny spider, you run around. <laughs> so we are about to wrap up. But Paul Inman said, ooh, a little ramen water. Yum. Dude, it was a treat. I once went, I've told this before many times, my glorious, three days without food and water to make weight. Cut, cut, cut. So there you go. All right. Gosh, that's unhealthy. It's, it, don't, that's that's don't why do I'm that this tiny home, man kids. right now. That's why I'm this tiny man right now. Good so night, everybody. Uh, we are almost done, but I want to say, we're just going to wrap up. I first want to say to anybody who's celebrating Rosh Hashanah this weekend, Shana Tova. Thank Congratulations. You, Happy New Year. I hope it's a wonderful celebration. And uh, we will be back um, on Wednesday, September 20th. And you will be hearing a new story that has never been read by Who, Scott. Who's reading it? Me or you? I'm not sure. One, we, me or it him. could be me or her. We don't know yeah. yet. Until then.
We, we want, want you to stay, you to stay smart. smart. We want you to stay science. And for the love of science, please stay informed. Educate y'all ass. Listen to people who know more than you do, who've studied things that you haven't studied. And uh, I think that's it. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, flu shots are currently available. And if you're in Get the it. United States, at Get the very it. least, so Get are COVID it. boosters. If Get you it. have relatively recently been infected with COVID, maybe wait until it gets a little colder where you are to get a COVID booster because you still have some natural conferred immunity from your illness. And it's specific to the XBB that's all, all over the the, the big prominent version that's getting people sick very quickly, but they don't get terribly sick, especially if they've been vaccinated. So if you've recently gotten that, wait a few, like wait a month or so. Once it, once it gets colder, get your booster then, but get your flu shot now. That is it for the Slay Q&A part two. We love you. Fantastic. Goodbye. You have been listening to Slay, created and read by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2023, Empty Set Entertainment. For more information on the author and more books, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Superweapon. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.